shirt. So we had uh, it's 120 guys on the team. I want to say like 25 of us got this uh, from making every practice, every workout. You didn't fail anything during the workout. So the time our time runs, you didn't fail anything. You got through all the weighted uh uh stuff get your max goal. And so I think twenty of us got it, or twenty-five out of the whole team, you know. So I wear this proudly, you know, because I'm so all right, that was Debo Williams uh talking about his football guy t shirt. Uh was that yesterday? Yesterday's press yes, conference. Yesterday. Um, so yeah, he was wearing a, a really, I, I want that shirt too. It's a pretty cool looking shirt. Yeah. Um, it's, it's got like the, the script Carolina, um, fun. black. Yeah. It's a black shirt with the Garnet script Carolina font. Um, and it says football guy on it, but yeah, so that, that's one of your leaders on defense. One of your presumed starters at linebacker, uh, a room that we have talked a good bit about actually this off season as a potential strength, even though. I feel like most national analysts that have been looking at this team and looking at everyone that the team lost or whatever um, would probably peg that as a weakness. But I think if you know you've been paying attention to the program and paying attention to us, uh, we we're on, we're not on that train. So um, I actually listened to another national podcast today. Um, Cover three is what I think it was today, and they were breaking down the SEC East, and all of them picked the under six point five. Um, so that you, you, you can see, uh, from our preview, if you go back a few weeks ago, um, we previewed the season, previewed the SEC East, all those things back during SEC media days, all of us picked South Carolina to go eight and four. So something's got to give, <laughs> uh, I'm a, I, like I gotta it. say, we'll get to the game again. I might be a little bit off my eight now. I might be closer yeah. to seven, just seeing how some things have gone, but I still think seven's a fair target, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I like to think that us that are paying attention a little bit closer on a day-to-day basis probably have a little bit better feel, but also, who knows, maybe we're drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much, we'll we'll have to find out. Um, So yeah, as Alan mentioned, today we're going to go game by game through the first six weeks of the schedule, start previewing previewing North Carolina very slightly, just two weeks away now from that matchup. Um, we're going to get you caught up on the Gamecocks first scrimmage. We're going to talk, uh, about all of the media availability, the final open period of practice that we got to see earlier today. Um, but before we do all that, uh, make sure you like, and subscribe wherever you're listening. Uh, check us out on gamecocksgroup.com. Uh, become a subscriber over there for just a hundred dollars a year. Uh, if you missed out on that promotion last weekend, maybe. There'll be another one before the season starts, maybe. Um, but but uh, anyway, let's talk a little bit about recruiting. I actually don't have a ton uh, yet on recruiting this week. Daniel Hill is set to uh, announce his commitment decision next week. Um, he got moved up a little bit in the latest 2024 rankings. I guess that's the other recruiting note. All of the 2024 rankings have been updated um, South Carolina still has several members of the Rivals 250 uh, already committed to this class, has a few other targets, including the number one overall O-line target. Uh, he's actually right outside of a five-star. I think he's like two down from being a five-star. Uh, Jordan Seaton, he's at IMG Academy now, but he is originally from that DMV area, has a relationship with Dylan Stewart. Will be interesting if South Carolina can keep um, the momentum going there, but it seems like he's going to 
take an official visit sometime during the season. And then also surprisingly, um, looking at looking like Cameron Fountain, uh, who was an edge prospect, the South Carolina was in it with earlier in the summer, um, really earlier uh, all last year as well. He uh, committed to SoCal, University of Southern California. Um, he still is committed to University of Southern California, but I have picked up that he is set to take an official visit at some point uh, during the season as well. So maybe South Carolina can, can uh, work their way back in there, maybe potentially flip him. Um, we'll have a few other news and notes in the weekly recruiting wrap-up tomorrow morning. Um, obviously, official visits will start pretty soon once home games start here in a few weeks. And uh, yeah, we'll hit the ground running on all that stuff again. Let's talk football. So I wanted to start with maybe just a breakdown of injuries and a breakdown of what the depth chart is sort of looking like uh, as of this morning. Um, what can you tell me on injuries, Alan? So you got to start with Juice Wells. That's the one. Of course, he missed practice when we had open practice last, I think that was last Friday. Um, Shane Beamer says he's going to be back for week one. We heard similar things about similar injuries about this time last year. Corey Rucker comes to mind. Christian Beal Smith comes to mind. Um, it's, he was not at practice this morning, the last open practice portion. That is just going to be a wait and see deal for now. Um, lower body, uh, we've heard foot. I think we've, we've talked about that a little bit. Um, which is ironically what Corey Rucker's was this time last year, but, um, that's the big one. That's obviously your leading receiver coming back. Um, elsewhere, freshman tight end Reed McKeska was not in practice today. He's gonna be out for a little bit, Shane Beamer said. Um, and then you got a whole lot of guys that are just kind of on the fringes right now. Tyreek Johnson, defensive end, he's been in a blue limited contact jersey at every open practice. He was out there today, he was taking reps, he was in that 11 on 11, but he's still in a limited contact. Pup Howard, same deal, blue jersey this morning. Uh, Eddie Lewis, the wide receiver from Memphis, to transfer Blue Jersey this morning. Um, I guess on the positive front, you've got Casey Henry, right tackle back. We'll talk about him in a second when we get to the depth chart. He was out there today for the first time we've seen him in open practice. Um, David Smalding's healthy. Uh, that's obviously going to be a big part at nickel. He was in practice today. Uh, Kelton Henderson, the freshman wide receiver, same deal. Blue Jersey, last time we saw him, looked good to go today. Um, so you got a bit of a mixed bag right now. Oh, and Trey Knox, he was out there today, took reps, caught a pass. I got a video of that on Twitter, but he's, uh, his right leg looks kind of like a mummy. It's pretty wrapped up. Um, but he was out there today, took reps. He was in full contact. Um, so I would think you're feeling pretty good there. Yeah. I was actually surprised, uh, that he wasn't wearing the blue Jersey today with the way that leg was wrapped up, but I guess, um, whatever it is must not be too serious. And that's just for reinforcement. Oh, and Pop or... Howard. Yeah. I, did I mention it? Yeah, he's got a shoulder. Um, the only other sort of injury-ish note, although I can't, we can't confirm at this point that it's injury-related necessarily, but uh, Nicholas Harbour was not seen at practice today, uh, which, you know, you would think you would have an opportunity to step up here with the injury to Wells. Um, so don't entirely know what's going on there, but we will let you know as soon as we hear what happened uh, with that day it could just be like he had a class or something you know like sometimes weird stuff happening happens this time of year as uh school is getting started for these freshmen for the first time as well but um 
yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll keep you updated on all of that. As far as the depth chart goes, I think there are some positions that we feel pretty confident in uh, and then some that we're not entirely sure because we're not sure that they're entirely sure <laughs> about yet. Um, when we look at the first team offense today, obviously a rattler quarterback had to carry and join her at running back. I do want to make a note. Uh, every time I see him, I, I feel like he gains another five pounds of muscle. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's looking, he's looking like a running back. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that experiment actually plays out, uh, once the lights come on, but he looks the part, at least at this point. Um, Trey Knox at tight end, Xavier Leggett, Amarian Brown, Omega Blake at wide receiver. Omega Blake's just... probably your camp MVP right now, by the way. Just yeah. what we've heard, yeah. what we've seen. Everybody's raved about him. He's had first team reps everywhere. We've seen all the open practices. That's some of that was Juice being hurt, but everybody's feeling pretty good about that there. And he played in the Gator Bowl last year, and it seems like he had a really good offseason slash summer. Yeah, it's sounding a lot like um, you know the light came on for him, I guess, around bowl practice last year and has continued throughout the offseason and into uh, the fall. Now, offensive line is where it gets a little bit sketchy. I feel like we have some answers. Um, you said kind of the center and the whole right side you felt pretty confident about. The guards more so. Than I think your interior you feel comfortable with. You first finally at center. There's experience there. Gargiulo at left guard. I think Nick Gargiulo is probably the offensive lineman you maybe feel best about overall right now for a variety of reasons. Trey Jones at right guard. That that three has been together pretty much all we've seen in camp. Is and one of the seen... reasons that you feel good about Nick Gargiulo the amount of burgers he can eat? Or <laughs> uh, Yeah. Uh, uh, you probably feel a little bit better about him knowing what he's capable of producing a certain <laughs> five-point establishment on GameCoastGoop.com. But – yeah, tackles where you probably have the question there, and you've kind of seen a bit of a, a bit of a slot machine there, just trying to get the right two guys, those two spots rotating in and out. Yeah, so we saw Jackson Hughes taking snaps to left tackle today. That's the first time that we've seen that during these little open periods. Uh, that's the Charlotte uh, transfer. We were talking right before we got on the air. I don't know that you feel super confident if that's what you have to roll with um, going into Charlotte, although, you know, maybe uh familiarity with the area or something i don't know but um yeah so we've seen that we've seen we talked about how jagai moore is the most veteran presence probably mentally the most prepared there but um physically maybe isn't the most talented of of those guys uh but you know do you just I guess the question is, do you take your licks with someone that's younger and inexperienced, uh, say Jackson Hughes or say um, Case and Henry or say even one of these freshmen that are that we saw play on the second team um, today in uh, uh, Trovan? Yeah, t Tree, Big Tree or Trovan Balls playing guard. So um, and then Marky Anderson started the spring game there. So yeah. Um, Definitely think that those guys are very talented. Definitely think you don't want to start your season with a true freshman starting at left tackle. So, no, I wouldn't say that's going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll still have to see how the, those tackle spots uh, play out. But Jackson Hughes, Ja'Kai Moore, Kaysen Henry, Sydney Fugar. Sydney Fugar. Seems like it's going to be some combination of those four guys. You uh, want to make it two, actually. Spots. We've seen him take the first team reps, too. So, you really got five guys there for two spots. Which, yeah. Is is that one of those things where if you have five guys, you have no guys, or uh, maybe one of those be. guys emerges? Yeah, 
Um, defensively, things are kind of set in stone as far as we can tell, uh, especially along the front. You got straight Strawn. I always get it wrong. Strawn on uh, one edge, Boogie Huntley, Taka Hemingway on the interior, and then uh, transfer Jatias Gear, who uh, actually had some pretty fun quotes I thought yesterday at the yeah. media availability as well. Uh, he grew up uh, in Belt and Honeypath, so in the upstate, said he grew up kind of praying that he could play for South Carolina one day. And right now, he's slated to start game one this year at South Carolina. So that's pretty cool. Um, Stone Blanton, Debo Williams, who we mentioned at the top of the show, Nick Amonwari and DQ Smith, obviously. Marcellus Dial's pretty locked in. And then the only other question is kind of how it plays out at the other two corners. We've seen Emory Floyd. We've seen Keenan Nelson Jr. We've seen... Uh, O'Donnell Fortune. I still think it's in O'Donnell Fortune. Yeah. Just doing some mixing and matching today. Um, but I still think that's Fortune and Dial. Uh, I think Beamers are pretty confident in that. Your nickel spot might be where it gets interesting. Um, you feel good about David Spalding there, but I know you've, you've seen some Keenan Nelson there too, like you said. Um, haven't seen a lot of Van Martin Scott and reps recently, but he's played nickel at this level. Um, I think you actually feel pretty good about that spot. Just with the, that is. You talk about the tackle situation being a, you have five guys, you have no guys. I think your secondary situation might be a, you have X number of guys, you have X number of guys kind of thing. Yeah. Ben Martin Scott's actually one I forgot to mention uh, earlier was another one that wasn't out, out there today um, as far as I could tell, but we will uh, see if there's anything going on there injury wise or whatever. Uh, any of these, second teamers uh that you're looking at that you think will get some considerable play um here in two weeks i think joshua simon at tight end is one that obviously stands out um mario anderson jr at running back is probably going to get some carries brian thomas jr i mean edge defensive line anything up front you're rotating bodies in and out just a lot anyway just because the nature of the position and so you're going to see pretty much all those guys are going to get some snaps i do think you're going to see desmond doing musical snaps uh tj sanders another guy who we've heard has a really good offseason coaches seem to be feeling good about there's going to be plenty of snaps for him nick barrett obviously mo Kaba, he had some good quotes yesterday too at availability that's um you're going to see plenty of mo Kaba snaps at linebacker just from the experience perspective and what they think he can do with, with a healthy two healthy acls now i should say um does it surprise you that mo Kaba is running with the twos right now uh behind blanton and debo uh, not really i a, I think they're going to rotate enough that you're going to see all those guys play plenty of snaps and need them all to be good anyway. But he's still getting up to speed a little bit. Uh, we heard he only played 24 out of 80 snaps in the scrimmage on Saturday. So, no, not really. Well, and he did mention yesterday at the media availability that he recovered a little bit slower than Strawn. Yeah. So he's still kind of coming back to full speed. So it might be a few weeks uh, before we feel like he can take on a full game load. But um, should be able to contribute at least in week one. Um, any other notes that you had on the depth chart after seeing that today? I mean, that's about what I, I mean, Lenora Sellers with the threes again, we don't spend too much time on the third string quarterback. We kind of did that a couple shows ago, but still with the threes still look good. Um, if you check out our, meatball, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, if you check out our Twitter, uh, Gamecock scoop uh, or at rivals Gamecock on Twitter, um, I think it actually got re- reposted by Famously Garnet uh, as well, which that guy seems cool, so whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, the uh, Lenora Settlers hit a like beautiful uh, down-the-right sideline uh, fade, 
I think it got dropped, unfortunately, but um, it was right on the money. So the little bit that we've seen of him, he uh, has, I mean, including back to the spring game, right? He has come as advertised. Yep, for sure. That's, again, we don't need to spend too much more time on that, but that is going to be an interesting, that's one of your subplots for this season is kind of what QB3 looks like and what that might mean for whoever's not QB3 there. Um, let's get into the scrimmage a little bit. So we got, you You guys got to talk, um, to both Shane Beamer, uh, and then the players soon thereafter on the scrimmage. Um, what were the takeaways? Do we feel like the offense of the defense is kind of trending ahead? Um, I've heard really good things about Spencer Rattler that he's having a really good off season, yep. kind of picking up where he left off at the end of last year. Um, what, 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 what are you gathering, I guess, about how the, the scrimmages are going explosiveness is kind of the buzzword i've heard thrown out both from players and just talking to some other people people feel like this offense is going to be able to push the envelope they're going to have options down the field um going back to what we were talking about earlier with omega blake the, they posted the video online and we heard from spencer about it he hit omega blake for a 75 yard touchdown in the scrimmage um obviously it's a scrimmage you could look at that two ways all right well the offense the explosive plays that means the defense is giving up explosive plays um but that's something they didn't have a ton of last year until the last two games of the regular season. So if you're thinking they can push the envelope a little bit more, get vertical, that seems like it might be more in play. We saw a bit of a deep ball drill period today in the open practice uh, to that end. Um, I guess that's your positive, your negative. This was the very first thing Shane Beamer said when he sat down was there were a lot of penalties. Uh, he said calls the offensive line, holding calls, took back a big Mario Anderson run. Um, that tracks if you still don't know who your best five are you might have be struggling up there um so i guess that's what i would take from the offense i still think this defense is coming along about as you'd expect there's just to be honest there's much fewer questions on defense you've got a third year coordinator versus a first year coordinator you've got two returning cornerbacks you've got two returning defensive tackles um you've got two returning linebackers starting if it's going to be stone and devo i think you just two returning safeties obviously i think you just feel generally more sure about that side of the ball right now. And that could be for better or worse, because you just don't know what this offense looks like as we're sitting here 16 days from the opener. Yeah. The only um, turnover, I guess, that we heard about yep. was GTS gear. Got a hus hustle play uh, interception from his edge spot. Um, he also noted that uh, Sterling Lucas has like made him reach a level that he didn't know was possible uh so you know maybe you you got a a steal there um from the the kid in your backyard that spent some time in new york for a season and or two seasons and now he's now he's back um yeah i i mean i've heard the same things offense looking really good i don't think that that should be too concerning defensively um no. now granted you are losing two nfl caliber corners um in darius rush and cam smith i do know that we think marcellus dial can kind of step in and and be to that caliber and and some of the the players um this week have kind of uh echoed that sentiment that he's kind of taken on that role um but even though you have a lot of talent in that secondary there is some youth and some of that like game rep um veteran presence that you are going to be missing a little bit that you know maybe is catching up to them a little bit this offseason right now yeah for sure and that's just what it's going to be and also i guess i'll circle back to depth chart a little bit but you saw all a heavy heavy freshman 
group on that second team defense. Um, just on the same place together on the field at the same time, you had Jalen Kilgore, Bakari Swain, Judge Collier, Desmond Umiuzulu all out there together. Yep. You can take it, take that however you want. I do think some of those guys are going to play this year, but you probably feel pretty good about that if you're a South Carolina fan, just that your true freshmen are getting second team reps right now, especially a lot of them together. That's kind of your future. Yeah, and pretty much all of those names are names that I heard this offseason yeah. as like these were hits um, in the recruiting cycle. And other than Umio Zulu, those are three stars primarily right. um, that perhaps were a little undervalued by the recruiting services. So um, we also saw a little Vicari Swain returning kicks today, right? Yep. As another yep. freshman. Um, probably won't no, <laughs> take that over as a starter, but. Still, but, yeah, no, good to see him, see him out there. And uh, I mean, he played both ways um, in high school, so he's he's confident with the ball in his hands. Um, any other notes from the last couple or the last week, I guess, since we last talked um, from fall camp and stuff that we didn't hit on? I think that about covers it. Um, they're going to have their second scrimmage Saturday. That's closed. There's no media after that. And then next week, we're uh, Kind of into a game week without a game. We'll have a Beamer Tuesday, Coordinators Wednesday. Carolina Calls is back next week. I know that's everybody's favorite uh, favorite hour of their week. Um, yeah, we're pretty much into a game week next week just without what you get on Saturday. Great. Um, yeah, so and we'll try to track down what happens in that scrimmage from what we can uh, into the beginning of next week. But, yeah, we don't get the, the immediate feedback like we did this past week which you know obviously all that's by design um pretty they're pretty uh tight-lipped i guess about what what they give us this time of year um but we'll have some real football soon speaking of real football do you want to talk about the schedule yeah let's do it all right so we have kind of briefly talked about uh how the schedule lays out and we we're going to split it up uh, six games today, six games next week. And I think it really is a tale of two seasons um, with the toughest stretch being uh, right out the gate. <laughs> um, you, I think you, if you come out of those first six games, four and two, uh, then you start to dream uh, of, you know, a really, really great season, a step forward, you know, eight, nine wins, whatever. Uh, but if you come out of the stretch, with only two wins or less, which I think is also a possibility, um, your margin for error, error for even making a bowl game gets very, very thin. Um, so first up, we have North Carolina here in about two weeks. Uh, if you go to GameClassGroup.com, I've done an early football previews and predictions for every uh, game thus far. So six games in, I'll have the other six before we get kicked off. Um, the very first one on North Carolina is free. If you just look up early football previews and predictions, UNC, Gamecock Scoop, or whatever on Google, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Um, but yeah, so North Carolina is coming off kind of a weird season in 2022. I actually heard someone ask um, a similar question on a national podcast uh, about two other teams. But do you think that North Carolina deserves to be ranked while South Carolina isn't ranked right now? Like, do you think based off of the 22-22 season, based off of what we know about who's returning for each, all those sorts of things, um, is there a good argument other than an easier schedule uh, that puts North Carolina as, like, clearly the better team than South Carolina? Clearly the better team, no. 
Um, I don't think you're going to know who's the better team until that football game happens and maybe after. But I do sort of get it. Uh, North Carolina won nine games last year. South Carolina won eight. Obviously, you can start there. It's a North Carolina team that really, I mean, they started the year great. They were um, nine and one out of the shoot, tumbled down the stretch a little bit. That's as the Mac Brown teams intended to do. But this, yeah, I think it's the Drake May thing as much as anything. That's about as proven a commodity as you have a quarterback anywhere in the country, definitely on South Carolina's schedule. Um, I kind of think that alone, A, influences voters, and B, makes you feel better about North Carolina's floor, even if you don't know what the ceiling is going to look like. Yeah, I think it's almost entirely about Drake May. Um, and I think Rattler would be getting that same uh, benefit of the doubt, I guess, if he had not been so up and down earlier in the season last year. Um because if he played like he did those last three games, then I think, right. and that's kind of the question, right? Is he that Spencer Rattler? Because if he is, then South Carolina is going to have a good season. Um, these teams are equal, if not um, South Carolina giving us getting a slight edge on paper or whatever. But I think all that uncertainty uh, kind of weighs against Rattler, whereas uh, Mays had like a little bit more of a consistent career to this point. Uh, so if I'm looking at their offense, they did lose their top um, two wide receivers from last year, and they are now in the NFL, Josh Downs, and I can't remember who the other one was off the top of my head. Um, but they did bring, bring in a couple of um, transfers that they think are going to kind of take those lead receiver roles. So Nate McCollum is coming out of Georgia Tech, and Tez Walker is coming out of Kent State. Um, and then they have really well, excellent – like, yeah, as of right now, recording this August 17th, we don't know if Tez Walker is going to play week one. He has not been cleared yet. He had his eligibility waiver um, with the, you know, he had rolled it North Carolina January 8th. And they changed the rule about that January 10th. And as of right now, he's not eligible. I know UNC is fighting that, but that's definitely worth noting. Um, just you yeah. talk about UNC's offense. So that's a thousand yard receiver at a pretty good Mac offense last year. That's um, yeah. That's a, that in there. We don't know if he's going to play the South Carolina game. That's a great point. I actually forgot that that news had come down a couple weeks ago. Um, otherwise, they have three tight ends that combined for over a thousand yards and eight touchdowns last season. All those guys are back. Um, that'll definitely create some mismatches. Really put um, some strain on that linebacker core that we've been talking about. Um, I think we feel better about the linebacker core against the run. I think they're relatively unproven uh, against um, some top tight ends other than getting destroyed by Brock Bowers last year. But um, <laughs> uh, running wise, uh, Elijah Green comes back. Um, they have a pretty deep running back room, though. That's he'll he'll lead the room, but you'll see a bunch of guys there. Um, so, I mean, I think you're feeling pretty good about their offense, just like you're feeling pretty good about South Carolina's offense. The problem is on defense, they were really bad. <laughs> um, and they've kind of continued to be sort of bad under uh, Mac Brown. Brown. Yeah, throughout this entire second tenure. Um, they do get both of their linebackers back, Cedric Gray, Power, Eccles, and they both made a, over 100 tackles last season. Um, they got a couple of transfers in at quarterback who we'll see if they, you know, uh, can eventually, can, can immediately slot and, and make a difference there. But really, I think in this matchup, you're looking at two good offenses. I think South Carolina's 
defense is slightly better than North Carolina's defense. And I think maybe North Carolina's offense is slightly better than South Carolina's offense, at least from a consistency standpoint, looking from a last year standpoint. So how do you see that sort of shaken out? And obviously we'll do a full prediction um, next week. I mean, I think the other wild card here too is two new offensive coordinators. You got obviously Battle Logan in South Carolina. You've got Chip Lindsey, the former Gus Malzahn tree guy, head coach of Troy for a little bit. He's back calling plays at UNC or not back, but he's at UNC calling plays now. I mean, I'll just say it. I think I've said it all summer. This is the toughest game on the schedule to call. I think it's one, I don't want to say South Carolina needs, but it changes your outlook a lot if you do win it. Um, I can say, here, I'll ask you this. What do you think the line is on this game? Have you looked? Because there is a line posted. Um, I would say it's probably North Carolina minus three or four. Two and a half. North Carolina minus two and a half. So you're basically – North Carolina is a slight favorite. I don't think that's incorrect. I would not be surprised if South Carolina wins this game. And I don't know. I kind of think they might find a way to get it done. But I would not be the least bit surprised if not. It feels to me like it's a race to like 35, 40 points. If you win the coin toss, take the football first. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's, it's that kind of game. Yeah, that's that's the way it feels to me. And who can get a couple of opportune turnovers or a timely stop right before the half or, uh, you know, whatever. Just uh, it's going to be – I think it's going to be a shootout. Um, all right. We can really quickly talk about Furman. Not a ton to talk about there except for that Furman was pretty good last year. Um, and they're expected to be pretty good this season as well. But, six in the FCS preseason coaches poll. Yeah, so definitely a dangerous team, um, especially if you are looking ahead to Georgia, um, have a little bit of a hangover off the opening North Carolina game. Um, I mean, obviously, I think South Carolina should take care of business here, um, but they're not, you know, a lower tier FCS school. They're they're up there. They could beat you if you played your you know c minus game and they played their a plus game um on offense you're getting tyler huff uh who came from presbyterian um last year he was actually very accurate completed almost 70 percent of his passes over 2,000 yards um but the real issue is that he's dual threat so he also rushed for almost 700 yards and eight touchdowns um that's what you – I mean, that's the main thing you're going to have to watch out for on offense there. Uh, their defense was one of the best in the FCS last year. Um, they defended the run very well, allowed only 116 yards per game. Um, I think probably Furman hangs around for a half or so, and then South Carolina pulls away in the second half. I don't know if you have anything else to say about the old Paladins it's, in Greenville. It's a better FCS program than you've seen either of Shane Beamer's first two years here, than the Eastern Illinois year one and South Carolina State last year. Uh, but it is still an FCS program. You are still talking about 63 scholarship players against 85 scholarship players. Um, yeah, I think South Carolina pulls away here. I don't have much else to add there. All right. So in an ideal world, maybe you're 2-0. and And then you got to go to Athens, um, which is never very fun. I don't have much to say about this either. I I was about to say, uh, on the flip side of uh, how short the Furman preview was, the Georgia preview is also going to be pretty short. Um, they are coming off a perfect 15-0 season. Um, they have one of the – I think they have the easiest schedule in the SEC. Um, they should – they will be favored in every game throughout the entire season. Um, they're at home. <laughs> I mean, the last time that South Carolina, I mean, the last time that Georgia lost in Athens 
was South yeah. Carolina in 2019. Um, <laughs> that's maybe one just like juju glimmer of hope that you can have here. Um, if you're looking for other glimmer, glimmers of hope, um, Stetson Bennett is gone. Yeah. Not that he was like a crazy talented um, physical specimen or anything, but he ran the offense well. Um, you have Mike Bobo uh, calling the plays instead of uh, what's his name at Raven. Yeah, he's with the Ravens now in the NFL, Todd Munkin. Um, so I do think probably the offense takes a step back. Um, How about the other side of the ball, bud? Uh, defense is going to be just as yeah. good as always, uh, if not better. Because actually last year was supposedly a rebuilding year on the defense. Um, and a lot of those guys are back. Maybe you don't get blown out of the building like you did last year, but I still think probably you, George is going to be a two to three touchdown favorite, depending on how you do against North Carolina. I have very little to add. That's still the best team in the country. They'll prove it. Otherwise you're going to their place. That's going to look how it looks. I don't think it means not that it doesn't mean much, but it doesn't define what you can do this season by what happens on that particular Saturday. Yeah. I think most people would pencil in a loss there. Um, don't worry. Every team that they play on their schedule also will do that. Uh, go down there and, you know, try to make it weird. Uh, hope that they have an off day and get into the fourth quarter and see what happens. But it's certainly not one that uh, you would expect to win. So maybe you're maybe you're sitting at two and one after three weeks. Then it gets into another I think very, very key game on the schedule, yes. especially if you're sitting at two and one. So you have Mississippi State week four. You have them at home. And this was probably one of the hardest ones for me to preview uh, because we really don't know what Mississippi State is without Mike Leach, um, who unfortunately, of course, passed uh, this offseason. Um, they did hire from within with Zach Arnett. Um their defense uh, should have a little bit of stability because of that, because uh, he ran the he was the defensive coordinator last year. You have one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC coming back um, in Will Rogers, but was he a system quarterback like a lot of the Leach quarterbacks were? Is is he going to translate um, to be as efficient as he was under a new uh, offensive coordinator? I don't know. Uh, new offensive coordinator, Kevin Barbie, by the way, um, which he uh, is expected to bring a little bit more of a balanced offense rather than the pure air raid. I mean, I really don't know what to make of this one, except for I think we can expect the offense to take a step back. Um, they lost their top running back. Dylan Johnson transferred to Washington. Um they got a transfer tight end uh, from Georgia, actually, Ryland Goad, and a transfer tight end from TCU, Jaquarius Spivey, who both, you know, have shown a little bit, but there's a reason they transferred. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's kind of tough to nail this one down. I think the defense is probably going to be pretty good. I think the offense probably takes a step back. I think they probably project as a toss-up game for South Carolina. Toss-up game for sure. Um, I do think this is going to test South Carolina's run defense a little bit more than people are thinking. Kevin Barbie's an App State guy. Um, obviously, it's an O-line system there. Former O-line coach, head coach. They run the ball a lot there. Um, 
I don't know what to make of it so much other than just the you're coming off a game against Georgia and Mississippi State's coming off a game against LSU the week before. Both teams beat up, one beat up, the other not. How's that going to look? Um, you're probably looking at two teams trying to avoid a losing streak who may or may not be physically beat up. Um, this isn't probably the answer you want, but like, can I just say I don't think they're a three and one or a one and three start? And I kind of think just the way football works, they're gonna if they beat UNC, they might drop this game. But if they lose to UNC, they'll find a way to win this one. I mean, that's it kind of kind of feels the way it is. <laughs> that's kind of the way the Beamer tenure itself has gone, yeah. right? Um, so. We will have to see one thing that just from a schematic standpoint, um, Mississippi State is replacing their top corner, Emmanuel Forbes Jr. He actually mm-hmm. holds the FBS record for pick sixes. Yeah. Um, so that'll be a big uh, and and they lo- they're they're replacing two safeties. So if their secondary is a weakness. Um, yeah. I think that plays to South Carolina's strength. I do think they're going to be able to score some points in this game. This does, this does have something of a UNC feel to it, although maybe not quite as extreme as that one will be. Yeah, that's that's true. And Will Rogers, I mean, even if he doesn't fit quite as well with the new system or whatever, he's got tons of experience against SEC defenses. So um, that doesn't hurt. All right. So I don't know. We're probably looking at two and two-ish. That's kind point. of how I stack it up to uh then you have to go man the, this early season the sec did not do south Carolina any favors here then you have to go to neyland stadium so you have road games at georgia and tennessee in the first five weeks um your only home game well i guess you have a home sec game against mississippi state and then a home Furman game but anyway uh i assume tennessee is going to be dialed in <laughs> for that one yeah, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, after last season, 63 to 38 win, um, which obviously is the high point of the beam error thus far. I mean, maybe the next, maybe the next week. I think comes next in week, the, but point yeah. taken. Yeah. Um, pretty, I mean, it was a pretty insane game. We were there. Uh, that was one of the two I got to attend last year. That was, yeah, it was great. Uh, but new season, new team. Um, you no longer have uh, Hinden Hooker under center. Uh, Joe Milton seems to have all the physical tools in the world. The question is, will he be able to put it together on a consistent basis? A um, little bit of Spencer Rattler in him, I guess, at at, at that point. But um, at this point, I think you put a lot more faith in Tennessee's offensive system than South Carolina's yes. offensive system. Um, although, you know, maybe Dowell Loggins can come out and light, up, light the world on fire. We don't really know at this point. Um you're going to have to go in and try to score a lot of points. Yeah. If Joe Milton doesn't work out, you just have a five-star freshman in Nico Aliva yeah. as backup. Exactly. So uh, I think they'll figure it out, um, especially by week five. I think that offense will be working. Um, the defense probably can't get much worse for Tennessee than it was yeah. last year. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be exceptionally better, um, although they do bring in a couple of BYU linebackers um, to kind of try to right the ship there. Um, Gabe Judy Lally is the the big name there. He has already put together 97 tackles um, the last two seasons, so that experience could prove um, very handy, but... I think this one's impossible to really predict, except for you're going to have to score a lot of points. You're on the road in Neyland Stadium. It's a revenge game. 
It's a revenge game. I took um, that more to the loss. Look, we know what the deal is with Tennessee. Uh, they're going to score. They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to line up as fast as they physically can. They're going to stretch you as far as they can. And they're just going to try to duct tape it together on the other end of the field. Um, I think the way you kind of just big picture stack this up going into the bye week, which we should mention the bye week's week six after Tennessee, you've got, all right, you're going to beat Furman. You're probably going to lose to Georgia. You've got three games here, one neutral site, one home, one road, three shootouts, probably all three could somewhat be considered toss-ups to various degrees. That might be your season there. Is that an 0-3? All right, you're probably not making a bowl game. That's a 1-2 and or 2-1. and I think you probably hit about where you think you are. And if you somehow go 3-0 and in those, you're talking about all kinds of things. But it's, you know, a home, a road, a neutral, three similar games all in September before you're by. That's kind of where it feels like the season is. Yeah, and I think you feel fine as long as you win at least one. Yeah, like you said, um, I'm with you. You, on go, that. you can't lose all three. Yeah, um, and I think it's very likely that you do win at least one yeah. of them. But it's uh, this is probably the hardest of the three. Um, at I would agree with that, so. just because the venue and the, the revenge game factor, and you know what Tennessee's going to do. There's no secrets there, but it's still really hard to stop. Um, that said, I do think all these people that are picking Tennessee as like a dark horse national champion. No, not there. All that sort of stuff. I think there's a lot of unknowns on this team. I actually, um, when I submitted my staff picks, I picked Tennessee over South Carolina. But then when I did this breakdown, I almost flipped it just because there's so many questions. And Tennessee's weakness in the secondary last year doesn't seem like it's going to immediately get better. So, again, that plays into South Carolina's strength um, as long as Spencer Rattler's on, which, you know, is a, is a pretty big question. So Yeah, and you're going to see this year, um, we're going to talk about another one here in a second, you've got three quarterbacks who are all varying degrees of mediocre at Big Ten schools starting in the SEC this year. You had Joe Milton from Michigan and Tennessee, Graham Martz from Wisconsin at Florida, who we're about to talk about, and uh, Peyton Thorne from Michigan State is going to be the starter at Auburn. And that's just – it's one of the bigger questions. It's one of the more interesting ones for me this season. Uh, just how those three Big Ten quarterbacks who transferred to the SEC starters are going to look. Yeah. And, yeah, how much did Joe Milton learn about playing within the right. system from Hendon Hooker? Um, I mean, he looked great in the Orange Bowl. We'll see if that's the way he always looks or not. Um, Florida? Yeah, the last one that we are going to break down this week, and then, like I said, we'll break down the back half of the schedule next week. It's where things start to feel like they get a little bit easier, <laughs> just slightly. Um, so you have a bye week after Tennessee, and then coming off the bye week, you get a home matchup against Florida, which is a bit of a revenge game for South Carolina uh, on the other uh, side of the spectrum. Um, of course, South Carolina played their worst game of the season last year in the Swamp, got blown out 38-6, to uh, fell behind 21 to nothing in the first quarter. Uh, Spencer Rattler was on his back all night. Um it was ugly. Um, I don't even feel like, I mean, you're replacing Anthony Richardson, who obviously is in the NFL right now, but it wasn't like Richardson had a crazy good game or anything. It just, South Carolina couldn't get anything going and uh, put um, Florida in a lot of really good opportunities, and it was over before it really even got started. Yeah. You mentioned Graham Mertz. Uh, you probably, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't feel great about that. He wasn't very um, good at Wisconsin. You can just call a spade a spade. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting that Vegas has set Florida's win total at like four and a half, um, which, uh, yeah, uh, if you if you pick 
that as um, the actual win total, that would be that make them probably the worst Florida team in forty years or whatever. I mean, um, thirteen team with Muschamp, they went four and eight, I think, too. But yeah, I'd be right there. Um, and then they lost back to back, or they went. Sorry, they had a losing record in back-to-back seasons for the first time last season for the first time since 1978 and 79. Uh, they haven't had three back-to-back losing seasons since the 50s. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on Billy Napier. And to me, one of the big questions here is, like, have the wheels already fallen, fall, fallen off for them at this point in the season? Uh, or do they have some momentum? So I do want to look at their schedule real quick. It's Utah um, week one. That's, yeah. I think, the main thing. They're going to have to go off to Salt Lake and Altitude on a Thursday night, and that's probably not going to go well. So they have Utah week one. They get a break with McNeese State. Then they have Tennessee, uh, get a break with Charlotte, but then they have Kentucky and Vanderbilt. I think if they lose Utah, Tennessee, and then one of those Kentucky-Vanderbilt games, um, that's getting real, real hot. Because you're spiraling because you got to remember in the back half of their schedule, they're still going to play Georgia, obviously, and Florida State, obviously, too. Right. So um, I do think that's very interesting. They do not have a bye week LSU too. heading into the, the game. Um, as far as like the actual product on the field, I think their defense is going to be very good. You got to find a way to protect Spencer Rattler better than you did last year. Um, the defensive line is probably just as strong as it was last year. Um, and you also got a transfer, Cam Jackson from Memphis, 6'6", 355 pounds, um, just to add to an already pretty elite, elite uh, defensive line. You're going to have to f- figure out how to piece together some points. I don't think that they're going to be particularly scary on offense, but this one kind of sets up like a really ugly game to me. I just think straight up, like South Carolina's, better than Florida. We've talked about this over the summer. I'm pretty out on Florida. I'm out on the Graham Mertz thing. I'm not sure. I think they've got some good weapons. Ricky Pearsall's back. That's going to help. That's a pretty good wide receiver. Still got to, you can piece it together in the running game, but I just, you're at home. You're off a bye. That should be about as healthy as you are in a while at that point. Um, I think you're just better than Florida straight up. I think you'd be able to outscore them. Um, and I don't know if, Florida's going to be equipped to come from behind either because I'm still not a believer in that passing game. If you get a, get a couple of scores on them early, I think you win that game. And I think you probably end up one way or another, three and three after six, whether regardless of which three you win, which three you lose. Well, and we also need to factor in that South Carolina's undefeated. Well, no, they, they lost against Notre Dame. Before that, they were undefeated anytime they had any extra time. Yes. Um, under Shane Beamer. So that bye week plays a big factor there. I also think no matter what happens the first five weeks, even if you, even if the wheels fell off and you went one and four, um, during that bye week, you can kind of start to take a sigh of relief and look at the back half of the schedule, starting with this game um, and uh, convince the people in that locker room that you could go on a run if you can uh, knock this one down. So I, I think I would pick South Carolina to beat Florida at this point too. Yeah, and that, I mean, that, I, like I said, I could see two and four. I could see four and two. I think I'm pretty much at three and three after six, and we'll come back and get into the second half of the schedule and do some over-unders for some uh, some yardage, some tackles, some Kai Kroger touchdowns. I don't know. We'll see what we can think of uh, between now and next week. Yeah, I do think, and this is just a little teaser for the back half of the schedule that we'll talk about next week. I do think if you escape those first six games three and three, you start to dream of eight, nine uh, wins easily. Um, 
if it's more like one or two games, then uh, you're just really hoping that you can piece together a bull run there. Yeah. And yeah, if it's four, then you're hoping some weird stuff happens and you're playing in the SEC championship right. or something, you know. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see how that all goes. Um, all right. So we'll be back here next week to oh, talk. We one more note news-wise. Oh, yeah. uh, Mark Kingston's contract getting extended tomorrow, Board of Trustees meeting. He, at this exact moment, has two years left on his deal. Well, less than two. It expires at the end of June of 25. But two baseball seasons left on his contract. That's about the regular time you extend a college coach anyway. That's obviously where he got his last extension. Uh, we'll have coverage of that. I'll be, I'll be at the meeting tomorrow, which hopefully goes quicker than Dowell Loggins one did. But uh, see what the buyout gets reset to. We'll see what his raise looks like. He's currently the second lowest paid SEC baseball coach. I don't think that's going to stick after getting to a super regional. Um, and we'll just see what the new baseball coach contract looks like. We'll have coverage of that tomorrow. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, it's still kind of we'll talk more about this after uh, we'll probably next week. But yeah. but um, it still feels kind of weird because, yeah, you made the Super Regional this year. You still feel like you underachieved most of his tenure thus far, except yeah. for this year. Um, so it puts you in kind of a weird spot where you're like, oh, you can't you obviously have to extend him after the Super Regional appearance and losing competitively to the eventual second place yeah. team in the country or whatever. Um, but I don't know that you have a full vote of confidence at this point yet either. And you don't want yes. to lock yourself into something you can't get. I out know of. the question of, cause you know, when they extended his contract after 21, which is a regional team, they reset the buyout all the way back to its original point. When they first signed the contract, that was 2.2 million. That made it, functionally impossible to fire him after the 22 season where you bottomed out and finished under 500. Um, I don't think they're going to make that mistake again, just given what happened last time they reset the buyout, but we'll have to see what those numbers look like tomorrow. And I mean, granted, if I'm Kingston's agent, I'm like, well, you gave yeah. me th this after a regional uh, now performance. After a and now exactly. Yeah. Um, we'll see what so, happens. Yeah. That, that'll actually be really interesting. I'll, everyone should, Tune into that on GameCocksGroup.com tomorrow. Uh, we'll have some live updates and some thoughts right after that. Um, we'll be back here next Thursday uh, to yeah. talk schedule once again, um, to talk uh, the notes from the second scrimmage, some recruiting stuff. We should have week zero little, football. We'll have yeah. football two days away back by that point. And then we'll start to give you some of our over-unders for the season, uh, maybe some fun topics as well for the 2023 season uh, from a national perspective and everything. Uh, until next time, go check us out on GameCastCoop.com, and we'll see you.